0: Well, good morning, and uh, thank you uh, so much for being here. I hope that video uh, helped show a little bit of how God has directed our hearts. And um, one of the most encouraging passages uh, in Scripture um, for me at this point in life is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And I tell a lot of people this, but the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And I'm grateful that we have a God who, who does care about our future and has a plan for each and every one of our lives, uh, whether that involves going to the foreign mission field or whether that involves being a light in your community, um, God has a plan for each and every one of you. And it's an encouragement for us as we go to um, a part of the world that's not exactly friendly to Americans or to Christians um, to, to, to know that God's in it. And to know that God's directed us to this point, And we're excited to see, uh, Lord willing, disciples, um, disciples of Christ to see churches planted and to see the Bible translated uh, in that needy field. And I'd love to answer questions uh, back at our table afterwards or just catch me anywhere um, and ask us questions. We'd love to share more about what God has laid on our heart. Um, I grew up in, in church, actually in New York City, not far away, and uh, in Brooklyn. And um, in our church, you know, we had a big missions program, and we had a, a lot of missionaries that would come in each year. And I, I enjoyed that. I loved it, just like uh, you guys have here. And, um, but one thing I didn't realize was how much of a need there still was, uh, not just for personal gospel witnesses, but for the translation of the scriptures. And you might have heard it in the video, but one out of every five people in this world do not have the entire Bible in their language, um, about 255 million people don't even have one verse in their language. And so, between that number, there's people who have a New Testament, people who have a Gospel of John that's translated for them, or something like that. But there is still a huge need um, for us to be involved in bringing God's Word into languages, many of them that we've never even heard of, but that represent people um, who are in need of a Savior. And uh, our goal isn't just to, to finish a translation and be like, check, that's good, we accomplished that, but for us to actually bring that word and to see people's lives change, lives changed, and going to Christ, and uh, ultimately seeing cultures change for the gospel. And um, but at this time, we are going to open up our own copies of God's word, and we're going to be in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we have four gospels that we could we could uh, take time in this morning, but. We're going to go to the shortest of those Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. There's a lot of time we could spend in this. We could spend an entire year in this one Gospel and not exhaust the truths, the riches of uh, God's Word in this one short book. But we're going to start in Mark chapter number 1 in just a moment. Um, and, uh, and we'll have you go ahead and stand uh, for the reading of God's Word if you're able to. And uh, we'll begin in Mark chapter 1, verse number 14. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. At the beginning of this uh, chapter, the uh, beginning of the gospel of Mark, um, you, you have John the Baptist and his ministry is talked about for several verses. And, and so you're kind of in that background of the ministry of John the Baptist. And then uh, starting in verse uh, 9 through I believe it's 11, you have Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And, and then uh, you see Jesus setting out in his earthly ministry. There's the, the time of temptation in the wilderness. And then he goes out and he starts calling His disciples. He starts calling men to follow him for the next few years of his ministry, and so we get to one of those uh, moments in Mark chapter one, verse number fourteen, and the Bible says this. Now, after that, John. This is referring to John the Baptist. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand." Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Verse 16, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Simon Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Verse 17, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, uh, who also were in the ship mending their nets, and straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And so we're seeing just at the very beginning, we're seeing four of Jesus Christ's disciples uh, being called, to follow him. And there are some truths in this passage that we can learn that will help us in following our Savior as well. But before we delve into those, let's go ahead and pray. And then after that, you can be seated. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And Lord, thank you um, for the opportunity to meet together as a church and to worship you and to um, honor you with our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts, mine included, and and um, help us to get what you would have for us from your word. Um, Please give me the right words to say that we'd be faithful to your word, and ultimately that each and every one of us would be better disciples of your Son because of our time here this morning. Uh, Lord, we sure do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we look here in, uh, in Mark chapter number one, and there are parallel passages and other gospels as well where you see the disciples being called, you're, you're really at this, this early part of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. And as we look at the disciples, I have a question, and uh, you don't have to answer out loud. If you want to, you can. But uh, what is the first number that comes to mind when you think of how many disciples Jesus Christ had? If I were to ask you how many disciples, I heard it. I heard a couple people say it. As you think about the number of disciples Jesus Christ had, the first number that pops in your head for many of you, it's probably 12. Now, there was the inner three. Peter, James, and John. I heard someone else getting ahead of me, too. (laughs) And then there's 12. But you know, Jesus Christ was not limited to just 12 disciples. Um, In fact, uh, in Acts chapter number one, uh, after Jesus Christ ascends into heaven, you have uh, disciples gathering together in the upper room, and there's a number given. It's not 12, it's 120. Then they go out, and thousands more come to Christ, and uh, and not just during Christ's earthly ministry, but for 2,000 years afterwards, there have been more and more people coming to Jesus Christ and deciding to be disciples of our Savior. And so 2,000 years later, almost 2,000 years from these events, we do not have the exact same opportunities to follow Jesus Christ through Israel, to see the miracles done, to, to see the resurrected Savior. We, we don't have the exact same opportunities, but we all have the opportunity to follow Jesus Christ and to be one of his disciples. But as we think about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, there are different decisions we, we can make to help us in following our Savior. There are also different earmarks that, that, are, that are, uh, depict a disciple of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of different things we could focus on this morning that would help us to be better disciples of our Savior. But this morning, we're just going to look at three levels of dedication from this early point in Jesus' ministry with these disciples. Three levels of dedication that every one of us, regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, um, would do well to follow and to, to dedicate our lives through. As we look here in this text, as truth is proclaimed, as Jesus travels through Galilee, men that we now know as disciples chose to dedicate themselves to following the way, the truth, and the life, the truth found in and with Jesus Christ. In following Jesus, we, ourselves, have the opportunity to dedicate ourselves as disciples following the truth. But will you dedicate your life to the Savior? Who among us will choose to dedicate their lives as disciples of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? And what that looks like for you is going to be different than what that looks like for me. Because God has a different plan for each and every one of our lives. But are we willing to follow him wherever he takes us, wherever he leads us? A few years ago, actually uh, about eight years ago now, I had the opportunity uh, to do an internship in Sri Lanka. And Some of you uh, heard me tell you a little bit about this uh, just a couple days ago. And uh, really enjoyed the opportunity, or maybe just yesterday, but really enjoyed the opportunity to be down there for a summer and learned a whole lot from several different uh, men. Uh, some from Sri Lanka, one from America, one from the Philippines, who all were doing the work of the Lord there in that country. And uh, during one of our uh, weeks there, we had, we had gone up to, to a city, we, we had finished what we had gone to do, and, and we had a few hours Um, before we had to get on the train to go back to the capital city a few hours before the train uh, would leave and they're like you know what we want to do a little something like tourists would do (laughs) we didn't have a lot of opportunities to do tourist things over the summer but every once in a while we'd get to do something and this was one of those days where we wanted to to fit something in and nearby there was a mountain not not a huge mountain not like the ones in Colorado that uh, where our family comes from not that big um, but still, still a sizable climb. And uh, one of those mountains in the area is actually called, in English, Adam's Peak. And uh, there's, you know, some, some legends with that, with Buddha or with Adam and climbing the mountain and seeing a footprint on top and stuff like that. It's interesting. But a lot of people uh, climb this mountain called Adam's Peak in Sri Lanka. And uh, we decided, you know, we're young, we're fit. Uh, there were four of us there. Three of us were in our, uh, you know, late teens, uh, maybe right around 20 years old. And uh, one gentleman who was with us, a Sri Lankan gentleman, was a little bit older, in his uh, maybe late 30s. and um, But we were like, let's go in and try. <laughs> and we remember we'd packed for several days. So we had our book bags with all of our stuff and clothing. And so we weren't exactly ready for a hike, but we decided to do it anyway. And um, so we go, and, and they actually, all the way up this mountain, they have steps. That they had built into the mountain, stairs, big stairs, uh, bigger than just regular stairs in your house, big ones, and uh, actually totaling 5,500 stair steps to go up this mountain. 5,500. Uh, how many of you have been to Washington, D.C. and seen the Washington Monument? Okay? How many of you have climbed it? <laughs> so I went a few years ago to D.C., and, and we were gonna try to get tickets to go climb the, mount, the, the monument. And they told us they'd shut it down because too many people uh, were having heart attacks climbing up the mountain. So I don't know if that's still true, but it was true then. Well, this, this mountain was six times higher than the Washington Monument to climb. And we're like, yeah, of course we can do this. You know, we're young. And um, so we started going, and eventually it got really tiresome. And, and um, it, felt like, it felt like we weren't making progress. You know, you'd go up for a while, and then you'd, you'd go down for a while. And then you'd go up some more, and... and um, and it just became more difficult to continue as time went on, especially as you remember that every step forward is another one back to go back to the to the train, right? Um, but we persevered. We kept going. You know, sometimes in our life as a disciple of Christ, uh, you know, we don't know how far the journey is. We don't know how much time God has given us on this earth. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're taking steps each and every day. And we're trying to take steps that, They bring us closer to Jesus Christ and closer to being conformed to the image of the Son of God. But then sometimes we have those times where we come down a little bit and we backslide a little bit. But you know, in each and every day, those steps we take, whether it's uh, good steps or steps of, of backsliding, every one of those steps can help us to learn to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. But will we continue in the journey as we take steps towards the Savior? Um, It's not a perfect analogy, you know, and we look at three steps, three levels in this message today, and it's not one, two, three, and now you're a perfect disciple of Christ and you're done, right? Just follow these three steps. But these are three steps that can help us in the journey. And that first level of dedication that we see in our text, in in Mark, uh, Mark chapter one verses 16 through 20 is simply this. First level of dedication involves listening, involves listening sensitively to the Lord. In verses 16 through, we'll read a couple of these again. Verse 16, as he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who we know as Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, they're fishermen. And Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Uh, In verse 19, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Verse 20, straightway, he, Jesus, called them. And so Peter and Andrew and James and John are busy about their work, but when Jesus comes and he speaks to them, they were listening. Being sensitive to the Lord is foundational to being a disciple. Being willing to listen to what the Lord says in our lives, speaks into our lives, is a major step of dedication to the Lord. When I think about uh, people in the Bible Uh, listening to the Lord one of the biggest examples that comes in my mind of someone listening for the Lord is in first Samuel chapter number three you don't have to turn there but in first Samuel chapter three and verse number nine we catch an insight into young Samuel the prophet's life as he's living there in the temple with Eli the priest and his family And Samuel hears uh, this voice calling his name, and I believe it's three different times, and he runs off to Eli, and and he's asking Eli, hey, you called me, right? And and Eli eventually gives him some instructions and says in verse 9, It shall be, if he call thee, he knew it was the Lord, if he call thee that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. You know that that heart attitude should be true for all of us? That when God directs our lives, when God speaks to us, we willingly say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. But so many times we get caught up in our daily routines of work or school or family and just the different things that many of them are good things that consume our lives, but we don't leave time for God to change anything. We're not listening for the Lord's leading. So Samuel is one of the greatest Bible examples of being sensitive to God's voice. Uh, just the other day, I think it was Brother Francis, he said, um, he said you don't need to go to college or, uh, or even have a ton of experience. I don't remember his words, but he said you don't have to go to a class to be able to share Christ. <laughs> and that's true. Well, when I was in Bible college, and I'm grateful for the opportunity, um, but when I was in Bible college, we had a class that was basically focused on studying the Bible, What are some good tips, some good instructions for being a good Bible student? And let me be clear, you don't have to go to a class to be able to study the Bible. Um, But this was a class to help us in that journey. And uh, our teacher, he'd been teaching for many years, and uh, every once in a while, not every semester, but some semesters, he had a special test that he would give out to his students uh, in this class about Bible study. You see, all throughout the beginning of the course, he had made sure we remembered before we open a commentary, before we, we read some other one's thoughts on the Bible, first and foremost, go to the Bible itself. You know, let the Bible speak on what the Bible says. Um, compare scripture with scripture. Be a good student of God's word. And he, he basically wanted us to focus, hey, first and foremost, on the word. So people come into this test, and uh, you can imagine, you know, you have a test scheduled. What do you do? If you're a good student, you study, Right. <laughs> And if you're a bad student, you still cram the night before and the morning of, right? You force a bunch of, let me memorize a whole bunch of things before the test. Well, if you're anything like me, and let me be clear, you know, I did study usually. But when you go to class and you're going to go to class for a test, you're still studying real quick the things that you're not sure about. (laughs) And when you get that test, if you're anything like me, the first thing you do is you go to the short answer and the fill in the blank you go to the hard sections and you fill them in real quick before all that knowledge falls out, right? How many of you have been there? You take a test. You got to get all that information down real quick. And then you go to the matching where you have a chance, right? The true and false, and you have half and half. So you start with the hard stuff. Well, before he gave out this test, he told his students, before you start the test, I want you to read all of the instructions and then you can begin your test. Well, everyone gets that paper. It's handed to them. And what do people do? Short answer. Fill in the blank. (laughs) Uh, Start on the hard stuff. Get it filled in, and uh, they start realizing that some people are finishing really quickly. They remembered those instructions. When you get that test, the first thing you do is read all of the instructions before you start. And the last set of instructions said, "If you're reading this, sign your name at the top and turn it in." (laughs) You know what the real test that day was? It it was listening. It wasn't all the knowledge that the teacher gave and all the tips for studying the Bible. You know what the the main thing was? (laughs) Listen. You know what the main thing is when we come to God's word and when we look at our, our lives? Listen. Listen to our Savior. Listen to what he has for our lives and be willing to follow him. And so as we look at the apostles' lives, here they are. They're just fishermen at this point. They're busy you know, this is, their, this is their income to put food on the table. They've got taxes to pay and homes to pay for and families to take care of. Simon Peter was married. He had a wife to take care of. And, um, and yet, here he was, even in the busyness of life, willing to listen when God called him. We have a need to listen to the truth from God. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says this, A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. You've probably heard it said before that we, there's a reason that we have two ears but only one mouth, right? So we can listen twice as much as we speak. And that's a, you know, an interesting statement, but the truth is when it comes to God and his word, let's be ready to listen. In Luke chapter 10, there's a Bible story in Jesus' ministry that speaks directly to this. And it's a story about two young ladies in the town of Bethany. Their names were Mary and Martha. Many of you may know this story, but here they are. They're hosting Jesus, the teacher in Galilee. He's traveling all around. Now he's in Judea. We're going to host him, and Martha's being a really good host, (laughs) and she's taking care of everything, trying to make sure it's all good, but her sister is slacking off, and she's sitting outside talking to Jesus. (laughs) So Martha goes out, and she complains to Jesus, saying, you know, here I am. I'm doing all this work, and Mary needs to be helping too. And and Jesus responds with some really telling words. And he said that Mary chose the good part because she was listening to Jesus. You know, Martha was doing a lot of good things, but Mary was doing the best thing because she was listening to her Savior. You and I can get so caught up in a lot of good things, but let's not neglect first and foremost our time with the Savior, our time with God. And so here's Mary, she's listening to the Savior, and she gives us an example of what we need to be doing in our lives, listening to the Lord. So our first level of dedication involves listening. Our second level of dedication, we see in verse number 18, the Bible says, after Jesus had called them, verse 18, straightway they, P- uh, Peter and Andrew, forsook their nets. And in verse number 20, the second part of the verse You see, James and John left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants. Their lives are radically changing in just a moment. But God spoke, they're listening, and now they're changing what needs to be changed. Change isn't always easy. You know, there's a lot of of changes that come about in our lives. Change is not easy. It's not always necessary. But when God has something in your life that he wants to change— We can show our dedication to him by doing so selflessly. And so our second level of dedication involves changing and changing selflessly. Peter and Andrew immediately forsook their nets. James and John left their father and the servants and they go and they all took a pay cut. And their next days were uncertain as they travel with a teacher who didn't have a place to lay his head at night every night. But they were willing to change what needed to be changed to follow his lead. There are a lot of things in life clamoring for our attention. And there are some times, some times of the year when we try to rearrange our priorities to get things in line. One of those is coming up in two months, <laughs> January 1st, and we have what we call New Year's resolutions, right? And people write down lists and a lot of good intentions right there. And a lot of changes happen that first week of the New Year. You go to the gym, it's crowded <laughs> for what, two weeks, Right? You know, a lot of changes go for just a little bit. And uh, we'll get into that even a little more, the perseverance. But here, there's this need for change. When when there are priorities in our lives that need to be changed, are we willing to make those difficult choices? But the truth is, we have a tendency to get sidetracked with the temporal. It's easy to put our highest values on that which we can see right now. But God wants our highest focus to be on the eternal. And we can, what we should do is make the creator God the highest priority in our life. It doesn't mean we, re- we neglect our responsibilities on this earth, but it does mean our God should have first place. There's a saying maybe you've heard uh, that kind of pervades American culture, and it was mentioned earlier, materialism, which is in many ways the, the God of, of developed countries, right? We, even not, not even just developed countries. All over the world, we want more stuff. and um and yet and so we have this motto sometimes look out for number one we choose ourselves first above everything else but God wants to take that first place for us to focus on him I don't know what type of changes God may want in your life you know some of you I've known for a couple days now it's not very long many of you I haven't even even met well yet but when God wants a change in your life are you willing to change that change may be small, it may be big, but are you willing to follow his lead? For Samuel, back in 1 Samuel chapter number 3, the change wasn't that big. He was living in the temple. It just There were some tasks that God wanted him to do in the coming days as uh, Eli's family was uh, pulled out of the picture. But Samuel didn't have a big change to make at that time. We go to the New Testament and to the Apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus he is a he is a well-known Jew with a lot of influence in the Jewish faith potentially a member of the Sanhedrin very important great student of a great teacher persecutor of the church <laughs> and in a moment all of that changes as he goes from persecutor to preacher but even though those changes changed his reputation changed his safety to where now he becomes a persecuted person, follower of Christ. In spite of those big changes, he was willing to follow the Lord. I don't know what the changes are in your life, but are you willing to make even those small changes? You know, this, this morning, we focus on, on a, a motto here for our conference. Raise not my standard of living, but raise my standard of giving. You know, that's kind of what the apostles had in mind here. It wasn't spelled out exactly this way, but here they are, they're working, they're fishermen. They're, at least in Zebedee's family, they're successful enough to have hired servants. And yet, in spite of all that, instead of focusing on just their standard of living and continuing to build the family business, they followed the Lord and they gave their lives. And years later, they gave their deaths as well. These people were willing to follow Christ no matter the cost. But the little things build into the big things. Uh, We're not that far from the Statue of Liberty. How many of you have seen the Statue of Liberty before? Okay, it's not that far. And uh, that was a gift from France to the American people. And that statue was brought over in pieces. um, But it was the Americans' responsibility uh, to build the pedestal that the Statue of Liberty would go on. And with this big, impressive statue, this needed to be a pretty big pedestal. So they started raising money and there was a time when the, the, the cost at that time would be $250,000 and there was a time where they did this big campaign through the newspapers and stuff to raise that last $100,000. 160,000 people gave to get the work done. Over three quarters of them gave less than a dollar. If you put that in today's money, $150,0 35 years later, the average gift, the the gift most people gave, I should say, the gift most people gave was about $16. It's not a very big gift. And yet a whole lot of people giving a small gift made something great that you can see over 100 years later. You know, when we look at missions giving and we look at the numbers and we see and I don't say this for my own benefit. You know, God's going to take care of us regardless. But when we look at that chart and we see, you know, we'll give $2, you know, teenager, give $2. It's, it's not a lot of money. And we may feel, you know, it's not much. I don't have much, so I'll let someone else give. Someone who has more, I'll let them give. But all those little gifts amount to something great that God can do. Those little gifts can make a difference. And so I'd encourage you, not just in missions giving, but in every part of your life, you may feel you don't have a lot to offer. But God can use your little and can do great things. We could spend an entire message from the lad with the five loaves and two fishes and see a little gift feeding over 5,000 people and God receiving great glory. But let God use you where you are and allow those little changes in your life to follow his plan. So, our first level of dedication involves listening. Our second level of dedication involves changing. Our third level from our passage involves perseverance and perseverance obediently. In verse number 18, the Bible says, And straightway they forsook their nets. That's the change. But then it says, And they followed him. In verse 20, straightway Jesus, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants. That was the change. And they went after him. You know, there's just really five words here followed him, went after him. Five words that speak to the disciples' perseverance. And you might say, well, from those few words, I don't get it. Where do you get perseverance from those two little verbs? You know what we get it from? The fact that we're only in Mark chapter number one. And that for the rest of the Gospels and into the other books of the New Testament, what you're seeing is these disciples persevering in their faith, persevering and following the Savior. They're on that journey, and there were good times, and there were bad times, and there were times of great triumph, and there were times where they were backsliding and and leaving Christ for for a little bit, and then there were times of them persevering again. You know, there's difficulties in the path, but they persevered in the journey. The disciples were willing to persevere through difficult changes in order to obey the command of the Lord. They followed through with their obedience. But what about us? They followed through by obeying Jesus' words and continuing after him. They didn't just begin to change, but persevered to show their dedication to the Lord. I already mentioned those New Year's resolutions, right? Those easy changes at the beginning of the year, but two weeks in, a lot of people fall away from those changes. You know what we need? Sometimes those little changes, but changes that we will persevere in. And that's what the disciples had, was a willingness to persevere. Sometimes obedience is hard. Sometimes persevering seems difficult and unfruitful. One of the greatest biblical examples of perseverance comes way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges. And there's a man named Gideon. And Gideon is not from a well-known family, he's not from a well-known tribe in Israel, He's just a regular guy in Israel, but God chose him for a specific purpose, to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. He raises up an army and he gets 32,000 men. It's a big group. Not enough to fill a sports arena, but a big group. But it was nothing compared to the Midianites and Ammonites and all their allies, where you couldn't even count the camels because there were so many huge armies. And the 32,000 men, it wasn't really a great, great army. And yet God whittled that down to 10,000 men. And at that point, I'm sure Gideon was wondering if he should continue. (laughs) 10,000 men against the innumerable hosts. But if you remember, if you know the story, that 10,000 men gets whittled down to how many? 300 men. 300 men to go fight And now this battle that already wasn't looking too hopeful is, humanly speaking, impossible. Now the battle they're going towards is, in their eyes, suicide. But they persevered, and God saw a great victory that day. It wasn't their victory. Humanly, it wasn't possible, but God saw the victory because they persevered to the end. You know, as we go through our lives... Each and every day there are challenges, but will we persevere in the journey? You know, I started a few minutes ago and told you part of a story of us climbing Adam's Peak there in Sri Lanka. And as we got further into the hike, uh, the fog rolled in, and uh, half the reason that we were climbing this peak was for the beautiful views from the top. (laughs) And now you couldn't even see, you know, 20 feet away. And we didn't know how much further we had to go, or worried about it just pouring rain and Uh, Just worried what was going to happen next. And again, we got to go all the way back down. We're very tempted to quit. And as we got closer to the top, around the corner came a dog. (laughs) And um, you probably, many of you probably know the attitude in in much of uh, Asia towards dogs. Mainly they're street dogs, right? Well, this one was taken care of. This one was a nicely taken care of dog. And it came up to us and it greeted us. and, and, um, And we decided, you know, just to keep going. And it walked with us all the way to the top of the mountain. (laughs) And uh, if you have a pet, you probably know what that's like, right? The comfort of an animal. Well, you know what that was? It's a simple example, and I hate to draw a comparison, but that dog was an encouragement to us to persevere. Without it, especially the slowest one in the group that that dog found to walk next to, without it, we might have just sat down and just turned around in a few minutes. A little thing can make a big difference in someone else's life. And Christianity is not about just you, although you need to be faithful. Christianity, God has chosen right now for us to be in a church, as a group, coming together, encouraging one another, pushing each other along in the journey so that we persevere. You know, as I think about the disciples and their journey, I'm really grateful it wasn't just the Apostle Peter, because I'm not sure he would have persevered on his own. And you could say that of some of the others, like Thomas. I'm not sure Thomas on his own would have continued all the way to bringing the gospel to India. But altogether, those disciples together encouraged one another. And yes, they got on each other's nerves sometimes, and they fought sometimes. But they were able to encourage one another along the way, and God saw the glory as they persevered. You know, it's easy to make decisions. It's easy to make small changes. It's hard to stay on top of them. It's hard to persevere to the end. But in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul, rather, towards the end of his his ministry, writes to his protege, young Timothy, and he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And those words ring as an encouragement, and exhortation to us, so that when we get to the end and we stand before God, that we might have those same words, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And we look forward to hearing those words in reply, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But will we persevere even when the times are tough? I don't know what this last year has been like for you. I don't know what the last two months have been like for you. I know you've, you've faced great loss as a church. I know that some of you have suffered with job loss and many of you have suffered with difficulties over the last couple of years. I don't know the journey for you. There's mountaintops, there's valleys, but there's people around you to support you through it all. And you are here to support someone else too, to encourage someone else in the journey. And so as we think about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, three things, three levels of dedication. First of all, let's listen. Let's be sensitive to the Lord leading. Secondly, let's be obedient to him, to make those changes that we need to at times. And thirdly, to persevere with our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And we thank you for the examples of the disciples and many others throughout Scripture. We have positive examples and negative examples, but many of them just as an encouragement to us to continue. And Lord, we see lessons here from these early disciples of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to take them to heart in our lives, to listen to your leading, to obey you, and to follow you to the end. Through the good times and the bad, I pray that you would help us to persevere and to not just focus on ourselves, but to help others continue as well. Lord, we sure do love you, and we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.